And now, here's our presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. Let me just try to give you a sense of what we're going to try to accomplish this afternoon. My goal is to expose you to a framework that I've developed with my colleagues about board governance that we call, see screen behind me, governance as leadership. And it, this is not, I'll say by way of introduction, kind of a board in the box model that we're suggesting you take back to your organizations, wipe the slate clean, and kind of begin anew with. Instead, we are offering this really as a kind of conceptual framework for nonprofit leaders to add to their repertoire. So we're assuming that you already know what you're doing, you already have a repertoire of approaches to working with boards and make them operate effectively. And our aspiration has been to try to create something that would help you organize some of what you already know uh, and perhaps kind of enlarge your knowledge and, and in the process kind of expose you to kind of new choices and opportunities for approaching governance. So that's the big picture goal. The way I want to get into it is kind of first, because this is the after lunch siesta, kind of go through a death march of PowerPoint presentations. Um, <laughs> They will kind of lay the concept out in excruciating detail. Um, then we're going to take a few minutes to try to do something uh, actually a little bit interactive, uh, primarily because I stopped reading the conference organizers' emails uh, at the point when the conference count was 50, so I was picturing a small group in a, a classroom um, and forgot that you're now up to 200 or so. But we're going to do something interactive just in pairs to help you begin internalizing a little bit how this framework might or might not relate to your own organizational reality, not to leave that out of uh, a discussion, even at a school of uh, 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 higher learning. And then we're going to use your kind of little quick uh, note comparing exercise to generate a sense of what are the practical challenges for kind of pursuing this type of work. And that will spring us into uh, kind of something that maybe will be a bit more prescriptive. And then um, hopefully we'll have some time just for open-ended discussion Q&A. So that's the game plan. So let's get into um, the overview of the framework. And you have this in your notebook. And we started, of course, where anyone would start, looking at a big, sprawling topic like nonprofit board governance. And that was to ask, what's the problem? And we started there by turning to the literature that we had contributed to, that many consultants and academics had contributed to. And we kind of pulled together a sense of what the world thinks is wrong with nonprofit boards, and it goes roughly as follows. Uh, the problem with nonprofit boards is a problem of performance, specifically a problem of ignorance. Nonprofit boards are unclear about their roles and responsibilities, and those two R words appear over and over in the literature and in the consultants' work on nonprofit boards, roles and responsibilities. So the response to that has been to kind of clean up or codify the board's role clarify the tasks. If we can just nail down what these roles and responsibilities are, um, we'll get them to kind of do this work better. So kind of taking stock of this work, again, with confessing that we ourselves had contributed to it over the years in practice and in theorizing, uh, we said, wait, this can't account for everything on a couple of fronts. One, lots of boards really do know their roles and responsibilities and are struggling nonetheless very mightily. So it's, it's incomplete on that front. Two, we were skeptical in another regard, and that's that when you think about what we have been trying as a field to do with boards, it's essentially kind of come up with an official job description 
Let's tidy up what it is we want boards to do and get them to kind of just stay within the lines and not stray. And what's interesting about that is if you think about job descriptions in organizational life, the tightest job descriptions are for the people with the least power at the bottom of the hierarchy. When you get to the top of the hierarchy, for CEO, it should be visionary, strategic leadership, just a couple of bullets. So here we were taking boards, the most kind of nominally at least, most powerful part of the organization, and really getting into these rather detailed lists. Here's what you'll do and what you won't do, and no straying outside the lines. Something perhaps wrong with this, uh, we began to think. And this is where we began kind of enlarging our sense of what might be wrong to include kind of a sense that in addition to and perhaps behind or driving this problem of performance is a second problem that we call a problem of purpose, um, by which we mean that in many cases boards do know what their roles and responsibilities are. It's just that they don't find that work personally meaningful to them, and they don't find it consequential to the organization they are increasingly experiencing a type of micro-governing. We're all used to the dreaded term micromanaging. Um, well, for many boards, they're experiencing micro-governing. The governance kind of work is getting smaller and smaller. It's getting more technical, uh, more fiduciary, as we have Congress and regulators and AGs breathing down the neck of nonprofit boards, telling them to, be kind of, to kind of carry out this accounting and, and fiduciary work. So we looked at this and said, wow, what's going on here is the tighter and smaller we get this down to the core essentials, uh, the more we actually get boards kind of disengaging because the more we make the work of the board into this kind of tight, clean, neat technical work, the more board members find it difficult to sustain their enthusiasm for the work. Um, So in fact, we find this very much like the plight of the substitute teacher in a classroom in the following sense. What we've said to substitute teachers is, look, all you have to do, we'll make it simple, is just focus on the basics. Don't let this group of kids get out of control. Don't let them run amok. That's your only responsibility. That's the fundamental job of teaching. First and foremost is safety. Um, Just don't let anything go wrong. And of course, what substitute teachers discover is that it's harder to keep order in the classroom when that's all you're tasked with doing than it is to keep order while you're also teaching. And we think in many ways this is happening to boards. The more we say just prevent theft, waste, fraud, and abuse, the harder it becomes to do that because it's not engaging, enriching work. Um, It's becoming more and more like management. So what we took as our point of departure was the objective of finding better work for boards to do. Uh, could we enrich the work of boards? And we don't just mean kind of find more busy work for them to do, but more important governing work to do. And that's kind of the problem to which our framework is the answer. Um, So from there, here's the bumper sticker. You need to write a book in order to make a PowerPoint presentation. And here's what we learned after writing the book, uh, that we could say it in uh, four bullet points. As we looked at kind of where organizations really were, we came up with this sense that, hey, boards really need to be governing in three modes because organizations, as they exist today, really exist in three modes. We chose three because that's the consultants and researchers' favorite number. There could be more. And in fact, if you look, however, at the literature on organizations, it very often says very little about boards. And if you look at the literature on boards, it says almost nothing about the organizations that boards are governing. 
Um, so there's a real gap there that needs to be filled as we try to answer the question, what type of organization is it that boards are trying to govern? And then based on that, what should boards look like and how should they govern? And we would propose that the organization that is implied by our current board practice and model is the organization uh, that was cutting edge in about 1910. And right now, this gap between boards and organizations has become increasingly wide. So we want to propose that we need to reconnect them by kind of saying, look, organizations are kind of um, bigger and more complex than uh, the design of boards would now imply, and that we've got to get boards addressing all aspects of them. And when they address all three of these modes I'm going to enumerate, they're practicing what we call uh, governance as leadership trademark. And a board's governing effectiveness, we'd say, is going to increase as it works in more of these modes, and uh, as it knows when to govern in which mode, and particularly as it governs in, in this third mode, I'm going to uh, be uh, spending most of my time talking about. This, as abstract and irrelevant as it seems, is not kind of completely out of touch with what actually does go on in organizations and sometimes in boardrooms. And just to take a rather cartoonish example, but it's a, a real one, here's a question that came into a uh, real boardroom that will make most of you grateful you're not on museum boards. Should the Boston Museum of Fine Arts lend 21 Monet paintings to the Bellagio Casino in Las Vegas. And so the question is, how should a board grapple with this? And our prediction is, if we had all of you mic'd and I could have you kind of efficiently calling out answers, is that if you were to put yourself in the place of those board members, you would begin kind of naturally seeing that there are really kind of three aspects, three governing modes involved in deliberating a question like this. Usually if we ask a group, what question would you ask the CEO of the museum? The first thing that comes up are these fiduciary questions. Would the paintings be safe? What about insurance? You know, what about FedEx liability? You know, what happens? What about donor restrictions? Are we allowed to ship them, etc.? So there would be a set of fiduciary concerns that are about the protection of the assets that serve the mission. Then you would generally get a group of board members asking a set of strategic questions, strategy being kind of where are we in our market or in our environment. And they would start saying, well, how's this going to affect MFA attendance? Um, you know, what about our image? Do we really want to be affiliated with a, uh, a casino, a house of gambling in a state with legalized prostitution, etc.? Um, will it drive attendance down by offending people or will it attract unwashed um, masses in? What's going to happen? Can we do patron tie-ins? Could we do Vegas and Boston? Have some sort of uh, reverse reciprocal arrangement? Bring Dan girls to the MFA, wherever their imagination might lead them, they would probably start raising some strategic questions around this one issue. And then the third thing that would often happen in a discussion like this gets us into a set of issues that we call generative, um, which for the moment I'll just say in very broad terms, because I'm going to beat this to death by the time we finish up in a while, um, are mission-related questions. But I want to suggest as we go along it's much more nuanced than that. Um, these are questions about the institution's identity, its preferences. They're just questions about who are we anyway? Not is it safe to send the paintings, not is it kind of to our competitive advantage to send the paintings, but is it us to send the paintings to Vegas? Who really are we? So there are questions about identity. There are often questions about values, kind of what 
will we not do for the right price? Like, you know, where will we not send the paintings um, for the right price? And kind of where would we stop this? How do we think about complex issues like a mission of public art in private space or kind of um, um, in a venue like that? I mean, is it consistent with our values? So these generative issues are all kind of highly subjective issues. Um, that require a lot of deliberation. And note, we call these triple helix because these are all embedded very often in one issue that comes to the board. Um, They don't come kind of separately, neatly packaged. All of these three modes are in play at once. And it's the job of the board in governing effectively to kind of tease them out and deliberate in that way. One thing I want to note while we're on this is the issue of expertise. As you think about these three modes that we'll drill down on in a moment, you could begin thinking kind of where would a board need the most expertise? And you know, my suggestion would be it would need the most expertise actually in that fiduciary mode. Um, can we read financial statements? Do we understand audits? Are we kind of, you know, kind of um, up, to, um, up to speed on those hard skill sets? They would need some expertise on strategy, right? You don't need to be a curator, but you need to be a serious student of museums and art in America um, in order to make informed judgments. What we would say is, in many ways, the most important work a board does, this generative work, you actually don't need expertise because these are subjective questions. So you can think about this, and an easy way to grasp this is think about this in terms of public life, kind of stuff that Congress deliberates, some things, take something like stem cell research. You know, we're not asking our congressional representatives to be uh, biologists. All, you know, it's true they should have a kind of a science times fluency in the issues and understand the basics, you know, what is the science here? Yes, we want them to have that. What we're really asking them to do is answer a set of generative questions. Is this us? Is it right? Is it our values? Is it right to put our money behind it? So in presidential studies, people talk about very often the issues that get to the Oval Office should be the ones that are kind of completely open-ended and very difficult to answer. And that's as it should be, to some extent, uh, without the grandiosity, of course, with boards. The questions they should be getting should be tilted more toward these generative issues. If they're all questions that require expertise, then they're probably more managerial or programmatic than is um, kind of right for a healthy board um, diet. So we'll explore all of this in the, in the coming hours as we go along. Here's a second example that you can do on the break. It's a real one. Um, oddly enough, should Vanderbilt University intensify recruitment of Jewish students in order to improve academic climate um, and its ranking in U.S. news and world reports? We won't spend a lot of time on that. Obvious legal question. Is it legal to do this? Strategically, um, who else is out there recruiting um, Jewish students, and do we have a way to attract them to our campus? And then in generative terms, is it, is it offensive and wrong and exploitative? Is it really consistent with our values, et cetera? So very often, um, we're trying to suggest boards are going to face issues that require them to work in these three modes. And each of these modes really kind of corresponds to a different part of organizational reality. So this fiduciary stuff um, that all boards need to be productive in, the protection of assets, that's all about the productive organization. Can we take money coming in the door, turn it into services or programs over here, out the door, and kind of make an impact in the world? So, you know, that's the productive organization. That's what we need boards, of course, to be worried about. 
When we're talking about strategy, boards are really governing kind of another part of the organization, the logical organization, which is all about how do we get from A, where we are today, to this kind of preferred B, where we want to be, you know, two years, three, five years out. What's the best course? Um, so that's the logical type of uh, aspect of the organization. This third stuff, the generative issues I've been describing, are really about the expressive organization. It's not kind of, do the funds add up? Is the budget balanced? It's not kind of, are we competitive? It's really about, who do we want to be anyway? We're going to explore kind of how boards get into that. Something to observe on this, by the way, what we're suggesting is that not every board member needs to be attracted to and fluent in the skills required to govern each part of the organization like this. They do require kind of different skill sets in some ways. Fiduciary requires a lot of technical skills. Uh, strategic requires, um, you know, sometimes a lot of analytic or kind of logical thinking. This generative stuff requires, as we're going to see, almost a sort of playfulness or inventiveness in order to discover who you really are and how you want to react. So our point isn't, oh, get every board member to be fluent in all three modes. Our point is, get every board to be capable of governing in all three modes. And that's one thing to bear in mind as you kind of take this uh, triangle home with you. The other is to think about the next time you're in a board meeting, kind of think about this triangle, because what you'll often see is that boards are already governing in these three modes, but they're kind of, they're not explicitly recognizing that. And as a result, they're governing past each other in scenarios that go as follows. Someone, for instance, raises a fiduciary issue that's of pressing concern, like what's the FedEx insurance policy on those Monet paintings? And someone else hearing that, who's in the strategic mode, is thinking, oh my God, you know, what a green eye shade, bean counting, irrelevant board member. That is so beside the point. This is about strategy, competition, our audience, our reputation. Um, and then meanwhile, there's someone generative saying, well, I don't know if this is in, you know, consistent with our core values. And the other two are saying, oh my God, head in the clouds. You know, we've got these paintings at risk. The audience is running away. None of this is made explicit, and all of these board members experience this great frustration of, why won't these other people just govern the organization, for God's sakes? Um, And of course, they all are governing the organization. The problem is they don't have a framework that accommodates what they're doing, and it's not explicit. And so it's the seat of much conflict. In fact, we ask boards very often, if we have more time, it's fun to do, to complete the analogy that goes as follows. Board is to organization as blank is to blank. And it's really interesting if you try it at home. You'll get a whole list of kind of type one analogies that are all these like real hard-assed, kind of rule-bound, you know, judge is to court, Um, umpire is to game, you know, curb is to road. I mean, they're just very rigid type one thinkers. Then you'll get all these strategic things that are all about navigation. You know, captain to ship, uh, GPS, you know, ATC to airliner, uh, etc. And then you'll get a few kind of type three, you know, muse to poet, conscience <laughs> to mind or whatever. Or we have two all-time favorites I'll, I'll share. Um, board is to organization as shit is to Shinola. Um, <laughs> And then we had one collected from California, of course. Board is to organization as blindfolded child is to ghost. And we still don't know what that means, but we know it holds the key to type four governance if we can figure it out. 
But this is important. This is one of your takeaways, because really in the spirit that uh, there's nothing so practical as a good theory, uh, really what I want you to get out of this are a few guiding concepts. This is, of course, one of them. You'll be as relieved as I am to know that we're not going to spend a lot of time on type 1 and type 2. Just for me to observe a little bit about this type 1 fiduciary mode and kind of remind us it's all about, of course, protecting assets and that 